Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Halos Heaven Radio. I am Jessica DeLine here with Rick Sadres. I'm here. And Rahul <laughs> Seti. Hello and welcome. And we are here to talk to you about Angels Baseball. Uh, we're going to take a look at some of the best performances of the past week, probably some of the not so great ones, and then take a look at um, players of interest on the 40-man roster before we uh, wrap up with a little farm discussion and a preview of the next week. Without further ado, here we go. Last week, uh, I'm going to jump right in. Shohei Otani, I'm going to call him out, finally did something. Uh, He hadn't looked real great at the plate recently, just like another player on the top of the list from last week, but uh, he was good that home run sure helped today, right? Yep. Yeah, he was all right. It was like he had a 414 on base and a 393 average on the week. He had a triple, two doubles, a home run. I'd say that's pretty solid. Seems pretty good. Literally anything was better than what he had been doing since the All-Star break. So <laughs> right, to get four extra base his... hits in 28 at-bats, I mean, that's yeah. definitely an improvement. Yeah, he's been kind of flailing away out there, losing his helmet left and right. <laughs> mm-hmm. That might be the most exciting thing to happen to the Angels. We we might have to do a helmet count um, on this podcast. How many times Otani loses his helmet during the week. I don't know how we're going to keep track of that, but that'd be fun. And we can also count how many times Trout bottles it. <laughs> bottles it. <laughs> Such a great word. Effectively just uh, <laughs> taking pictures straight from Fabian's Twitter account. Yeah, if he gets them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, who else um, should we talk about from this past week, um, offensive-wise? David Fletcher had a nice week. Absolutely. He was pretty terrible um, going into this past week for almost two full weeks. He was struggling at least a good 10, 11 days. And he was he was 11 for 24 this week with a 519 on base. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. He almost really good. Trout's on base. Three and doubles, most... a triple, and three walks. You take that every time. And most of that was in the past couple games, too, because even just a few days ago, he, his OPS was trending toward the low 700s, and now he's back to like a 750, 760 OPS. So um, definitely batting 458 across that time period helps out big time. Having a triple helps. Um, he's still seeing quite a bit more strikeouts from him than we have been. So I don't know if he's just changed his approach, trying to like trying to launch the ball more, trying to get more extra base hits because we saw more from him this year, from this uh, this week. But um, I, I don't really know what to, what to expect from going forward. Whether he's changed his approach and he's trying to become less of a contact guy and more of the Runs, runs, run scoring. Power bat. I don't. I don't know why he would try to change his approach toward that since it's not really his style. But it's just kind of what we saw. Um, I liked it. I mean, I don't think a guy like that has to hit a lot of home runs if if he's getting on base and and hitting like that. Just keep doing what you're doing, David Fletcher. It's worked out <laughs> nicely right. this so far this season. All right. Who's next? Who do you have? Mike Trout? 
uh, yeah, he's kind of a given all the time, right? There's there's very few weeks he's not uh, somebody to call out. He had a 5.36 on base, which is pretty spectacular. Eight walks, two home runs. Yep. A stolen base. Yeah. <laughs> it almost <laughs> never happens. Um, yeah, not anymore. Still a lot of strikeouts. Definitely feels like he's trying to hit the ball really, really hard. Um, obviously, that's great, but, you know, does come at the expense of over 30% strikeouts on the week, which you never like to see. But, hey, on base over 50% of the time with over a 1.1 OPS. So a lot of good and some bad, but overall very, still very positive, but a different Mike Trout that we're seeing. It is. He's been striking out at a higher clip for at least a few weeks now, I believe, maybe the past month. He's just um, kind of like we've said, we'll take it. He's just kind of switched back into that three true outcome mode again. Um, for example, I mean, 17 of his plate appearances of the, what, 27 came across as a strikeout, a walk, or a home run, which basically means he's just going really deep into the count and he's swinging late and either he makes contact, he doesn't swing at all, or he goes down swinging. That's, that's just what we're getting. We're basically getting Adam Dunn. <laughs> but I mean, we're getting a very good Adam Dunn. Who? Wow. We're getting a very good Adam Dunn. I mean, obviously a far superior version of that. But that's, that's exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing a three true outcome trout. And we're getting lifetime contract Adam Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's basically what we're, what we're receiving. I mean, seven strikeouts, eight walks. That that alone is more than half of your total plate appearances for the week. And, and half yeah. the audience had to Google who Adam Dunn was. Most likely. <laughs> no, they didn't. Everyone knows who Adam Dunn is. <laughs> if you were listening to this podcast, you should comment if you knew who Adam Dunn was or not. You might not admit it, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Crickets. But yeah, like that's what we're seeing. We're just seeing, we're just seeing three true outcome <laughs> trout. And, I mean, because of his ability it's a better player than you would expect it to be but i i it's not is there it's not a very exciting player in my opinion but it's one that's effective in the long run it's uh, also a player who could win the home run crown this year in all of baseball in all of baseball, he almost seems a lock for the AL crown right now if he stays healthy. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, all of baseball, that's going to that's gonna be a fun chase. He doesn't so even have to stay healthy to be a lock for it. He's he's the lock. He is effectively, <laughs> you know, in all of baseball, he's neck and neck with Cody Bellinger, with Christian Yelich, and, you know, coming up is Peter Alonso as well. So those he's four, close, it's going to yeah. be exciting to watch the rest of the way of uh, who's going to take home that crown. Number two so and... is Devers, and he's not even close. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's like six behind, maybe? Yeah. He's way behind, yeah. Yeah. I think that home run race, though, I think we could see them upper 50s pushing 60 by the end of the year. I think so, too. That's pretty exciting. Especially with the these real... with these balls. <laughs> yep, yep. I was yeah. going to say the real home run record, the non-steroid tainted, but the ball tainted era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The For ball's sure. been tainted every era by something. It, <laughs> yeah. That's a fair matter. point. All right. Uh, let's talk about our, our catching tandem. Your favorite. <laughs> My favorite. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. So Stassi still, he just has one hit as an angel now, and that hit wasn't even a real strong hit. He also has a walk. <laughs> Ooh, well, I might change my tune on him now then. So, um, <laughs> you know, obviously we figured Max Stassi would definitely be an improvement to the catching situation, but assumed in that was that he could actually hit like Martin Maldonado and provide better framing than Maldonado. Um, neither of those things have happened so far. Specifically on the hitting side, Stasi has played five games this week um, in 13 at-bats, one hit, one walk, and a 210 OPS. <laughs> Which is pitiful. So bad. At this point, how long has he been on the team now? Two, three weeks? It's I have no idea. Over, over the past two and a half weeks. Would Trade you rather deadline. have him or Luke Roy? No comment. <laughs> I'd rather not have Luke Roy, thank you. I'd I'd still rather have Stasi, honestly. Yes. Wow. You, I you think, realize okay. that you're defending Luke Roy. I think when no, a player is this I'm bad picking on Stasi. I think when a player is this bad, it's clearly more of a reflection on the ability of a coaching staff than the actual player themselves. He's and been I here think two and a half weeks. I don't he know. needs more time to work with them, and yeah. it's too. It's not. It's not conclusive at this point. Exactly. All right. He hasn't had. Rick, time. remember when you were when you were saying you'd rather have a cardboard cutout than Jonathan Lucroy? And I still stand by it. And Max Stasi is exactly that. So. <laughs> I, I firmly stand there, um, Jonathan Lucroy. Um, I'm not going to get back on that train about what what else I would rather have than Jonathan Lucroy because we have it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he he is he is the gold standard for suckitude. So right Ooh. now we're like in silver territory. All right, I would put Lucroy wow. just above the cardboard cutout and Stassi just below it. Yeah. Well, we all have our order. <laughs> we all have our order. Yeah, we, we all what have the right. do you put the cardboard cut? We all we have the right to be wrong, okay? A so. different order. <laughs> That's true. All right, any other... Uh, uh, there is another offensive player we want to talk about before we go into pitchers. That's Matt Theis. Sort of. I think he's worth mentioning. He didn't have a great week. He hit two thirty eight, but um, was it just today or today and yesterday that he, he looked a lot better? Today. Just today? Alright. So maybe I'm overestimating a little bit. He had three of his five hits today. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> and um, all four of his RBIs, I believe. So he was two for 19 going oh, wow. into Sunday. Whew. So he was bad most of the week. He had one good day. Alright. Anybody <laughs> else you guys want to talk about? No, Let's if move on from Dice. Talk no. about deflating the room. Yep. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Realistically, um, <laughs> I, I talked about this in the post game, but Justin Upton had a pretty good week. Um, batting average aside, obviously his week was actually pretty solid. He drove in the most runs. Um, he had four walks as well, and he had two home runs. Um, he actually had a uh, solid game as far as um, you know clutchness goes, and I know a lot of people aren't very fond of using you know clutch statistics win probability added things like that but for all the people that say that they also will bring up you know 
batting average with runners in scoring position, which is just a weaker version of the exact same thing, because it doesn't take into event, it doesn't take yeah. into account the context, the leverage of the scenario. It doesn't take into account all that stuff. So, Justin yeah. Upton, like I said in the actual post game, it was his second best game ever, and he went one for four with a solo shot and reaching on a fielder's choice and then getting extra base on an error. That's just depressing that that was his second best game ever as an angel. Yeah, To be I just, fair, that ball that he hit to third base, that was hit pretty hard. It was no, not I know. A, and not a weekly hit ball. I, I really, whether or not you, that should have been counted as an error or not, I don't, I don't know. Um, like I said, I think fielder's choice was pretty fair. But for him to have gone, what is it, somewhere in the vicinity of like 350, 400 plate appearances as an angel at this point um, across three seasons and having put up only one game, a single game in, the, in April of 2018 <laughs> where he mattered enough to the end result to almost give us half of a win of probability. Which, by the way, almost every person on our team has done that in less time. Far less time. So, for him to put up .4 only twice ever as an angel, that's hard to do. Especially when you bat behind Mike <laughs> Trout. Mm-hmm. When you come yeah. up as frequently as you do in high leverage scenarios. He has been detrimental to the team. And... Yeah. It's it's really really hard to defend it. I mean, I know people are gonna say like, well, he had an 800 OPS. It completely matters when you have it. Just because you happen to have it in a scenario where you're, you know, you're tied, it's like three to three. You had a two run home run in like the third inning, and you put the team up by two runs. That doesn't mean that that is a high leverage scenario. It's early in the game. It's a tie ball game. And it's going to matter far more in the late innings than it will in the early innings. Does those two runs count toward the win? Of course they do, but it's there's a lot less pressure early in the game than there is later in the game, with fewer outs later in the game. It's just it's just it's it's almost unbelievable how bad he's been when the game has mattered. Yeah, I think. It's incomprehensible to think that Justin Upton would be as bad as he's been in high leverage situations with the game on the line. And I don't know what it is, but I hope he can turn that around. Um, but we'll see. And the most the most annoying thing is like if you look at his like clutch score, quote unquote, his clutch score it measures how good he is relative to how he is on average in high leverage scenarios. And every single year for us, he's been far and away worse in high leverage scenarios than he has been normally. And you can make a point all you want that a three run home run in the first inning matters to the team. But when the game is on the line, you cannot count on him at all. That's true. 
And uh, to Rahul's point, hopefully he turns it around. If he doesn't, uh, that's going to be a huge contract bust. We have three more years of Upton. Yeah, three more years of complete failure to act. And he, People even hate on Pujols for the same things. Like they say, oh, he hits home runs in garbage time. Pujols has actually been one of our strongest hitters in high leverage scenarios other than, of course, Trout and probably Calhoun. Absolutely. Pools has continued to hit with runners in scoring position. Upton has not. Upton makes far less than Pujols did, and he gets far, far less crap for it. I think we can move on. All right, pitchers. Let me bring up one thing. It is August 18th, and Trevor Cahill is still on this team. You know, you have to to have... You have to have a benchmark on the team to know just how good a player is. <laughs> um, you need you need to be able to compare something to <laughs> the base. So that's why we have him. We have him. Are you better or worse than Trevor Cahill? <laughs> He's our benchmark for, for horrible well, players. Better than Trevor Cahill leaves a lot of room. Exactly, which is why we, which is why we DFA'd Harvey, which is why we DFA'd um, Allen, because they didn't meet the benchmark of the Cahill line. The Cahill line. <laughs> Setting the bar low, guys. If they are yeah. above Cahill, they are enough for us. And uh, consequently, there are. Two players who were worse than Cahill, our benchmark. <laughs> which, which, so you're saying that's bad to be Jose Suarez? Yes. Yes. I'm exactly. saying that giving up ten runs in seven innings is bad. He didn't meet the benchmark. That's no. okay. We have Mike Trout. We can get ten runs in seven innings. Uh, debatable. <laughs> <laughs> Three seventy-one batting average against. That's the second worst on the team. Third really, worst. we had we had three players not meet the benchmark. Fourth? Oh my gosh! I'm looking at the batting average against of some of these pitchers is atrocious. Well, that tends to happen when your pitchers aren't very good. <laughs> Thank you, Rahul. <laughs> so wh- why don't we start with the good pitchers? <laughs> Let's do that. Um, my friend Cam Bedrosian. To make your day brighter. Cam Bedrosian has consistently been the best pitcher on this team this year. I don't know how, but he's doing it. Say it louder for the folks in the back. I don't know how, Cam Bedrosian has not been been subsoil this year. For the most part. For the most part, that's true. I mean, five strikeouts and two innings pitched this week. No hits, no walks, no runs, yeah. Cam Bedrosian... In 57 innings, Cambridge-Rosian has a 2.84 ERA. Um, he's giving up less than one home run per nine innings. He's not walking batters as much as last year, and he's striking out over a batter per inning. Cambridge-Rosian is our most consistent reliever, and it's How is he crazy. not giving up home runs and he's an angel? That's crazy. I don't know. Huh. I don't know, but he does have his lowest hit per nine ever, even lower than 2016 when he was a god. His home run per nine is at its second, uh, third lowest ever. 
Yeah, he's just... His walks per nine is at its second lowest ever. His strikeout per nine is third highest ever. I mean, he's just... He's been good. It looks like he's just using his fastball less because he's still throwing his fastball only 93 miles per hour, but he's using it significantly less, less than half the time. And he's using his slider um, a lot more. So it's possible that that pitch mix might be the difference. Maybe. So I have a question here. I don't think this number has changed. I've been looking at him for a couple of weeks, and every week his inherited runner scored is 40%. Do you guys recall he's getting clean innings lately, isn't he, mostly? Yeah, yes. he hasn't really come in with yeah. any anyone on. And I'm not sure. I think this is changing a little bit, but 27 times in medium and low leverage and 19 in high. So a lot of his numbers are perhaps because he hasn't been in high leverage situations. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, if you look at this, it, his actual inherited runners is his second high, his second lowest total ever um, in which he had a full season. His inherited runner scored is... 6 out of 15. The only time he had fewer inherited runners was 2017, and that was because he was coming off of injury. He, he missed like half that season. So really, yeah. he's just not getting used at all unless it's like for a full inning. Yeah, well, that's good. Hmm. Yeah, they're just using him right. So Bedrosian was good? Yep. Somehow, um, Luis Garcia was good as well. Oh, my gosh. Well, Pretty good. You, you can't believe anything you see about him. It's a lie. He did give up a run, though, in four innings. but He struck out seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in one week, he struck out seven, and he only that's, pitched four innings. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's a lie. It's a lie. Don't listen to it. it it's Let's see. Let's let's revisit that next week. But he's still put a on, lie. But he still put on four runners in those four innings. Exactly. What isn't a lie oh, is Dylan Peters, again nope. proving to be our best pitcher mm-hmm. on the bulk arm side. In fact, over the last 30 days, he has had 28.2 innings pitched across five games with a 3.14 ERA. <laughs> That's pretty darn good. Dylan Ace Peters. Basically, Ace Peters coming to the rescue. Ace Peters. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, he had a, He's been fantastic lately. And like, it's like what is three or four of his starts are quality starts also as well. Yeah, makes you yeah, wonder I why. It was three or four, yeah. Makes you wonder why he hasn't been up here earlier. Especially since we uh, saw it earlier from him, I said he, right. he had like a one, he had like a good start or a good bulk appearance or whatever, and they sent him right down, and he came back up like a couple months later for like one appearance, was sent back down, and now we're finally getting to see him in action, and he's been um, outstanding. Yep, he's been brilliant. Yeah, and I'm sure Jeffrey likes the fact that he has a good whip too. <laughs> I love that. That whip is great. Point eight three. He doesn't walk very many, which is the best part about him. Mm-hmm. 
Should we also talk about another good starter? We have two more good starters. Oh, that's right. What a surprise. I think we should cover, I think we should cover them both. Griffin Canning. <laughs> Griffin Canning made two starts, won a total of 11 innings, struck out 10 in those innings, and he gave up four earned runs for a 3.27 ERA. How's that? Yeah, but one of those was a... Yeah, one of those games was a four-inning pitch appearance. It was. It was four innings. With three earned runs run, allowed. Three earned runs? Yeah. Did he only give up one today? Yeah. I think so. He did. Okay. Well, so, yeah. today was really strong, so that's that's worth yeah. mentioning. Yeah, he made up for it today, but mm-hmm. just overall in the week, technically he had like one pretty meh appearance and one that was solid. Well, really good, actually. Today was really I good. I can go with that. Today was really good. Seven innings, yeah. All right. Speaking of seven innings, Andrew Heaney. Look at that. 0.57 whip <laughs> on the week. Yeah, because he always, he always hits, lets the no home walks. runs bite him. Uh, yeah, he does. Two always. Mm-hmm. It's always the home runs. He only gave up four hits in seven innings, and two of them were home runs. Really, if you're gonna if you're gonna give credit to Canning, I mean, on the Mets side, Patrick Sandoval he didn't look bad in his appearance either. I mean, I know it was three earned runs and four point one innings pitched, he but looked, he he didn't look man, bad either. Yeah. I've I've he liked what man. I've seen from Sandoval. I have two mostly. Other than that, everyone sucked. <laughs> yep, everyone <laughs> sucked. Other than that, that is for sure. So out of the uh, sixteen pitchers that the Angels put on the mound this week, ten of them had an ERA over six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eleven. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Okay, that's fun. Depressing. <laughs> I'm gonna go. That is fun. Any other guys? Uh, there's some minor league guys I want to talk about. Take a nap. Let's Feel talk free. About some of the minor league guys. Let's talk about Jaime Berea. <laughs> oh boy, what did he do. He pitched for the Salt Lake Bees last week. Was he good or bad? Um, I'm considering, say bad. considering that our fellow writer Chase was there to observe. Oh, um, that's right. I'm gonna guess bad. <laughs> Four innings, twelve hits, nine earned runs. Eh, could have been Shellacking. Worse. He was shelled. <laughs> it's Salt Lake. I don't care. Well, his his last yeah his last start there too on seven thirteen was four point two innings, twelve hits, nine runs. I Actually, think, he was in El Paso, which is not as affected by the altitude. I think if you're gonna give up like a twenty ERA, then I'm gonna say that that's bad, even though it's Salt Lake. <laughs> <laughs> but he hey. was not in Salt Lake. Or hey. uh, wherever. What's the altitude of El Paso? Hey, I'm sorry. 4,000? <laughs> sorry to have a slight tangent, but I just, I was looking, while you were talking, I was looking at the uh, names of the players and everything. I was looking at the nicknames, and Dylan Peters' nickname comes up as Dilly Pickles, <laughs> with a Z uh. at the end, which <laughs> is, like, simultaneously awesome and an abomination. <laughs> it is. Wow. Good and also, call, also... On that note, color me surprised. El Paso has an elevation of 3,700 feet. I had no idea it was that high. Yeah, see, 4,000. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep, it's it's right there in the Guada, uh, Guadalupe Mountains or something like that. Is it? I've never been. Yep, right there. Huh. Good to know. 
Uh, Jared Walsh and Justin Bohr both had an over 450 on base last week for Salt Lake. Yay! That's pretty impressive. Um, Walsh had one home run. Bohr had two. Um, they hit both hit right around 300. Pretty solid week, even for Salt Lake standards. It's time for Jared Walsh to see Angel Stadium again. It's been too long. So. I think so. And Matt Dice isn't lighting the world on fire, so you're not losing much on that side. Well, he certainly is not. to be fair, he hasn't been bad either. Yeah, he hasn't been bad, but you want to see what you've got in Walsh so you can make a better decision going forward and whether to keep him or whatnot. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, uh, that pretty much covers the, the player reviews from the past week. Um, but since we're talking about the minor league guys, was this today that Fangraphs came out with the updated farm system rankings? I think so. Sometime, sometime this weekend. And the Angels were ranked, drumroll please, number 20. Number 20. Woo! And probably what's holding them from being the bottom three is Joe Adele. What do you guys make of this? It's what we expected. Yeah. The Angels it's... don't have a good farm system, guys. Come on. Yeah, they, they don't. They haven't had one. Like, even before Suarez and Candy were promoted, it's, it wasn't that great. It's not big on depth. It doesn't have top quality. We don't go for the high upside arms. We go for the we go for the high ceiling arms. I mean, not ceiling, high, high high floor arms. You know what I mean? Yeah. We we don't focus on maximizing our returns. We focus on limiting the damage, and preventing this, our executives from uh, potentially getting canned. Is what yeah. you're saying? <laughs> This whole this whole philosophy of risk prevention it's it's never going to pan out. <laughs> That's just how it works out. I think the bigger thing for the Angels is that they're consistently unable to develop talent, and you know every year you see teams like the Dodgers, the Rays, the Astros, the Twins, the Indians consistently developing. You know, the Yankees consistently bringing in guys and developing, you know, these no-name guys to be incredibly good for a long, long time. That's not something that you see with the Angels almost ever. Well, I don't know about that. I do think that, you know, they had been very good about developing pitchers the past few years, actually. But uh, Charles Nagy had a bit of a reputation for also developing them to the point where they explode. So, because, I mean, most of his pitchers, I mean, a lot of them were, like, very solid reclamation projects that came out of nowhere and everyone was surprised they were performing, but then they'd also go down, like, a couple months later. So, at the same time, either they're, either they're grooming them to be good, but they're, like, overdoing it or something, or it's Doug White and they just literally are the absolute worst thing you've ever seen in your life <laughs> well i think let's let's stay with the prospects theme here um the angels don't have a good farm system it's effectively at this point it's joe adele it's brandon marsh in terms of guys that you could potentially build around 
Um, and outside of that, you know, maybe you're looking at Chris Rodriguez, who's pretty far off and is probably not a starter. And you could potentially see maybe like Jose Soriano, if he can get some command, maybe he's something. Um, but outside of that, it's looking pretty bleak. And then the other guys, they're pretty far away too. Like Hector Jan yeah. is pretty far away. Um, there's that other dude who whose name escapes me. <laughs> that other dude. They're all in like Burlington together. Like all the all the high upside pitching arms we have. Is it the one that's injured all the time? They're all injured all the time. I don't know. That's <laughs> that's Chris Rodriguez basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was thinking of. I, I said him. <laughs> yeah, she oh, he he did. already did. So yeah, there right. there's just not there's not much to go off of, but I don't even know if it's necessarily I don't know really if it's the development, just because we haven't really drafted any arms to develop in the first place. So, not lately, especially not lately. Billy Upler. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't think there's much to much to work with there. They're not giving very much uh, clay to play with. Obviously, no, yeah. Jeremiah Jackson's developed well so far, but you know, even despite the the game power you're still looking at over 30% strikeouts in Orem. And mm-hmm. you obviously know the track record for guys like that. They, You know, you're looking at more Brandon Wood-type guys who flame out in, you know, the lower minors than guys who are able to make it to the majors. So we'll see what happens. And I mentioned um, the other day how I was kind of, like, concerned about Jeremiah Jackson just because, like, he's going opposite field a lot. And it's hard to tell for sure whether or not that's his approach, which would be a solid approach, or whether he's just you know trying to decipher the pitches and behind on everything, which would ex- explain the strikeout rate. If he's behind on everything and getting those home runs, then I mean that doesn't bode very well in Orem. Yeah, no. The velocity sure. only gets up from here. The the stuff only gets better from here. So if he's if he's struggling this hard to uh, determine which pitch is coming at him then those opposite field swings are going to turn into fouls and swings and misses. Yep. Yeah. So so here's a thought. Speaking of Billy Oppler not really drafting a lot of high upside pitchers, he's definitely drafting a lot of high upside toolsy athletic outfielder types, right? And then miserly stockpiling them all instead of so, using them. Perhaps he thinks that that's the talent that's easier to develop, and at some point he will trade them for pitching. Yeah, sure. Okay, let's see it first. <laughs> I will see it when it happens. Yeah. That's my theory. Remember, remember, Jamai Jones was a um, was an asset at one point. But what happened to him? Not only did we not trade him or use him to our advantage, but we moved him out of the outfield into the infield where he could struggle more and become less of an asset. Well, I think Jemai. Well, I actually saw Jemai Jones play in 2017, and I don't think that he was good enough to stick in the outfield. Um, his arm just wasn't there, which is like, fine. It, it just wasn't there. He was still a 50 FV prospect back then, a pretty much a consensus at that time that he was like a going to be a quote unquote solid player. Sure, mm-hmm. and even last even last off season. He was ranked, basically, like, Fangraphs ranked him a top 100 prospect mm-hmm. in baseball still. That was after the position change. Yes. Yep. That's he right. was number 90-something. 
but he yeah, was on there, you know. But he's not anymore. He's not obviously not anymore, but it's an over tinkering with him. Um, and once again, just, just overvaluation of prospects. Like I said, that's why I'm saying yeah. if they're going to continue to use that thought process, I mean, at some point you have to deal from your depth to take care of your weaknesses. But they won't do that. Instead, they, they, they just haven't. keep they just keep parade they just keep trumpeting the the strength of our outfield depth with absolutely no intention of using that depth to help the rest of the team. I don't understand it at all. It makes absolutely no sense. I think aside from okay, aside from Jemai Jones, who who of the Angels like misvalued in terms of prospects by keeping them? Too long. Well, Aside for one, from Jemiah Jones. For one, at some point back in the day, Thice was still valuable. No, I don't think so. He was. No. Yeah. No. I do. He, Thice I do. was effectively a guy that scouts saw that didn't have the power to stay at first base. And he, aside from that, he, you know, scouts didn't even know if he could stick at first base in the first place. He had no value. Well, that's, first of all, moving him to first, whether or not that was a good choice in the first place is debatable, but... Thais had no value, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't he know. Was, he was number five on the Angels' top 30 prospects list in 2017 and 2018. I don't know that that means much. Well... He was a 50-value uh, player in 2017 and 50 in 2018. I think that's just overvaluation. By most, most scouts saw him as like a 40-plus or 45 future value guy. Which is Because still he didn't have the launch. He didn't really have the launch. A 45 can still get you plenty of things. Not as a first-base prospect. No way. So he was... Perhaps overvalued, which is kind of what Rick is saying anyway, right? I mean, the Angels overvalued him when they drafted him. So that's you know who else not they overvalued? Yeah. You're going to love this one. Yeah. <laughs> you, already, you already know who it is. In oh, 2017, the number two prospect valued at 55 was guess who? Uh, this should be easy. It's the internal title of this podcast. Kevin oh, yeah. Maiton. That's, that's an <laughs> yeah. obvious one. I should have thought about that. So that was just like acquiring I don't think that him was in the, the first issue, place. The Angels were kind of taking a stab at him when they drafted him. It or when they signed him, it was like the the Braves messed up and did their whole, you know, snafu of getting yeah. caught in, you know, whatever scandal. Um, and Maiton and they, they the Angels were able to sign Kevin Maiton and Levon Soto, who's an infield prospect. Um from that bunch and Kevin Maiton got more money, but it was more of the angels taking a chance on him rather than expecting him to be something like most scouts already knew that Maiton had gone spiraled downwards based on the reports that they were seeing, um, on how he played defense and his conditioning, which both were not good at all. And, unable to make consistent contact 
So Kevin Maitano is definitely trending down by the time the Angels got him. And yeah, for sure. like obviously the Angels front office already knew that. But it was just a chance of like, hey, you know, obviously we already got Otani, our bonus pool. This doesn't really affect us for future years. Let's just go out, spend some money and like take a chance on him. If he turns around great. If he doesn't, it's just two million. Two two point two million or something. But think that Nate, was Nate, not the issue. This, how about Nate Smith? Did he ever have value? No. No? <laughs> I mean, Nate Smith was like a 45 future value type max. He was like a swingman potential. So effectively, he was who we hope Berea is going to be. So, you know, every, every organization has, you know, yeah. three, four Nate Smiths with them. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that that's the Angels' mischaracterization of value. Let me ask you this: all. Do you think they're going to? Do you think they're going to overvalue and um, un unrightly uh, hold on to Jordan Adams? Um, I don't think so, but I think that you it's don't. possible that they don't develop him well. That's the risk to me. Which I mean, that's basically. Again, if you're not developing developing him right, then you're valuing him wrong. I mean, obviously, if he doesn't have the skill to get there, and you can't develop him, at some point the, the player has to do go halfway. You know what I mean? Sure. You can't explain every. You can't say everything's on the team. The player still has to be able to do it themselves. I mean, Joe Adele, he didn't just rely on the team and say, "Oh, well, the team isn't doing a good job. I obviously can't." Then. Wait, what's this <laughs> argument here? <laughs> no, I'm just saying that Jordan Adams, I don't... First of all, I, I wasn't very high on him in the first place. He's been getting some more praise or whatever for his on-base or whatever, but it it's not going to amount to anything. I think I think the second that we got him, it was just a poor choice. And I think that they're going to overvalue him. I think he's going to be on the team too long. And I think we're going to regret him. I think that's not something... I think that's something that you can predict based on your intuition, but I don't think that's something that you can put on the team right now because at this point, Jemai Jones is basically the only prospect that they've mischaracterized um, his value by not developing him well of note. And on the flip side, you've got, you know, effectively David Fletcher, who's uh, the basically the 180 of that. So I, I don't know that you can say that. Eh, I do say it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can say it. It just may I, not be accurate. <laughs> like I said, that's that's once again they're just adding to that depth in the outfield, and they're not going to do anything about it. They're going to continue to have Braden Marsh. They're going to continue to have Joe Adele, and they're going to continue to have Jordan Adams. And there's no there's no room for him. This it makes no sense at all. Yeah. Eventually, like they're gonna have to trade Brandon Marsh <laughs> soon, or Adele, um, like Andrew was saying, or they Adele. Yeah. But I doubt that they're mm-hmm. gonna trade Adele just because they never will. Joe Adele is that superstar type guy who you can market around and build a team around, especially for like promotional purposes. Oh man, Joe Adele is who you want. He's already um, getting deals. Have you seen him in that? Uh, what was yep. it? Adidas. Yep. Commercial. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's Talk already about marketability. Getting he's deals. not getting traded. 
Exactly. Well, and you're going to need somebody to build a team around in another three years since they can't build it around Trout. <laughs> Rip. <laughs> exactly. Um, Adele's not getting traded. <laughs> I think we're good. I think we've... we've but um, let, me, let me just wrap this whole segment up by saying this whole notion that the Angels have like a top 10 farm system is, is not the truth at all. Um, at this point in time, they're a lot closer to the bottom of the pack than they are at the top. Um, and without Adele, they're effectively second to last or one of the worst farm systems in the league. Yep. This is a very top-heavy system. Um, every single team graduates guys every single year. It's not an excuse that the Angels graduated Griffin Canning, who's you know a 50 future value type, along with Luis Renjifo and Matt Dice, who are two you know, you know 45 future value types. Every single team graduates those type of guys every single year. It's mm-hmm. not an excuse that the Angels graduated some guys and that's why they're bad. Right. The Angels are in this position because, well, I won't, I won't go into why because that's a whole different discussion, but the reality is that the Angels don't have that talent, and that talent was already top-heavy to begin with. Um, what it's problem? just not... Not organi- the the depth isn't there. One and of the I'll leave it at that. Stems, one of the problems it stems from is just that, you know, in general, people look at those farm system rankings, and they fail to realize. First of all, these are just they're just fun things. You know, they're not like they're not the the law. But second of all, they're not regressed either, according to the amount of depth and the. Um, sustainability of that farm they're not regressed to that if you have one outlier that is an 80 grade prospect and everybody else is 30s or 35s it's going to look like a middle of the road organization and that's just not the truth one player does not make an organization good those things are they're just like cumulative scores of future value and stuff that they're putting together there but that's not how it should work. It should be regressed. Also, realistically, let me, if you want to make just, a holistic, let me just point out that you know front offices don't look at prospect rankings and be like, mm-hmm. oh, they have a good farm. They look, they look at each guy and say, what can he be or what is he worth to me today? Exactly. <laughs> and, and you just don't look at a ranking and and go like oh like they have a good farm system that's not how it works you got to go into each farm system and look at every single guy what do you think he's worth what do you think he can do based on how good he is and to that point how can we make him better and do we have a different viewpoint on him compared to the, the the team that he is currently with and quickly to that point when you're considering farm system rankings in the first place, they also take into account players that are deemed untouchable by their teams, which isn't really right. If a player is truly untouchable for their team, they're not a part of the farm. They're a part of the team. That's deep. Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> the farm is a place to get members of their team for or to trade from or to trade to acquire talent but if mm-hmm. it's an untouchable they're already a member of the team they're not a part of the farm yeah 
All right, let's wrap up that segment on that. And let's talk about what to expect over this next week as the Angels play seven games, including a doubleheader, all in Texas. Oh. You guys want to know the matchups coming up before for the Texas, the Ranger series, before you make any predictions? Well, Please. they're not going to see Lance Lynn. <clears throat> they are not. Oh, but thank God. The Rangers are going to see Dylan Peters, who pitches tomorrow. Who's pitching for the Rangers? Colby Allard. That's a loss. Oh, that's what? a. That's that's Andrew's pet prospect. Oh yeah, yeah he's solid. That's his guy. Andrew that being could be a good matchup. Turk's teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's his guy. Colby Allard's a good gonna be good. I think so. I don't know. I think it'll be a pretty even game. This is in Texas, right? You said. Yeah. I think it's going to be pretty evenly matched. I don't think it's going to be an obvious win one way or the other. We can lose no matter where we play. Exactly. <laughs> no, I think I think right. Peters will be have, will have a very solid game again. Okay. I think it's a toss up, but I, I think, think Allard's going to be good for sure. Yeah. On Tuesday, there's a doubleheader. The first game is at eleven. The second game is at five Pacific time. The first game is actually the makeup of the July first game. Um, that was postponed due to the death of Tyler Skaggs, actually. So, um, Andrew Heaney actually gets the ball in that game, which is probably going to be emotional for him, given that it was a makeup of that game. Mm-hmm. And he will be facing Brock Burke, who looks to be making his Major League debut. I have never even heard of him. He had a 1.01 whip at Frisco. <laughs> Still <laughs> so never heard of good, him. Right? He's a lefty. So Wait, he's right. from Double A. Paging Jeffrey. Majors. He came from Triple A. Triple A. But he only made two starts at Triple A, so. Oh yeah, yeah. Frisco is a Double A team. Uh yeah, he made two starts Triple A, but most of his year was at Double A. You're right. Mm-hmm. How was he with uh, Round Rock? Very good. Oh wait, no, uh, Round Rock is Triple A. Yeah. Bad. Seven point eight eight ERA, but only two starts though. Yeah. So. Okay. Make of that what you will. Uh, go Heaney. Okay. And then the second game is Angels to be determined against Joe Palumbo. Yeah. Palumbo. Palumbo. I'm rooting for Palumbo in that game because I like his name. Yeah, that's oh, okay. And we don't know who the Angels are having pitch yet. But Taylor the Cole. The final game <laughs> is going to be anchored by Patrick Sandoval, who is going to lose to Mike Viner. Ooh, that's a loss. Yeah. And then we play the Astros for three after that. That's a loss. <laughs> All three? Yeah. Right. Have you seen us? Have you seen us? Have you seen that? Wait, wait, which half of the Astros rotation is it? Uh, does it matter? They're all good. Uh, it it kind of matters. Granky is good. Verlander's good. Cole's they good. Still had, like, they Aaron still had Sanchez like, a is good. Starby, like oh. Framber Valdez and stuff. So We get to face Aaron Sanchez, and he's probably going to own the Angels. That's that a game. loss. Yeah. They, they, they have that one slot every fifth day that is like their 10-run game. Okay, I have my prediction. Okay. Two and five. Hello? I, don't, I like, I I like don't know two and five as well. Who do we see against the Astros? I gotta see this. I'm going two and five even without seeing who the... <laughs> I I'm think either the gonna Astros say, are going to sweep us. Who we see is irrelevant. I, I disagree. I think... 
I think we have a shot at winning one against the Astros, depending on who we see. I think but we if could it's... Po- Sorry, go ahead. No, if it's Sanchez... If it's Sanchez, Cole, Verlander, then we're screwed, obviously, but... Well, look, I think that we could possibly screw up Team Tank this week by winning the Rangers series. And I'm not happy about it, but it is what it is at this point. I don't think it's likely, but I have a... I have an inkling. Oh, yeah, we could we could also see Granky. I forgot. Let me see. Yeah, that would oh, be a loss. Yeah. So they go, okay, here's what they do. They go Granky, Miley, Sanchez, Verlander, probably Cole. Okay, yeah, so we're basically going to, we're probably going to see Granky, Miley, Oh yeah, Miley's been really good for them. Yeah, Granky, Miley, Sanchez is our probables, I believe. So three Which, losses. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think. I See, think I told you, Granky. I think it doesn't matter. Two and five. It doesn't matter who they start. Trout's been solid against Granky in his career. I think we can beat Granky. Okay. Mm so you're going three and four. No, I'm going to be optimistic and say four and three. Wow. So you heard it here first, folks. Who needs Jeffrey when you have Rick? Rick Sodris. I'm taking taking the good side because if I'm right, then I'm right, and that's cool. But if I'm wrong, then it's pro-team tank, which I'm also for. So... Okay. So you're betting (laughs) against your favorite team by betting for them. Yeah, that's basically just standard betting techniques. <laughs> okay, Pete Rose. But, by the way, I do right. want to mention the odds that I gave Jeffrey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yes, you can, let's do that. You can talk about it. Okay, so I gave Jeffrey, Jeffrey being H.T. Ennis here. Um, <laughs> they know, okay? They the know. other guy on the podcast. The other guy on the podcast who was... You know, mischievously not here today. Um, I gave so I give Jeffrey Tan odds, eight to one odds, that Kevin Maiton, eight to one odds of Kevin Maiton having 100 plate appearances with the Angels. And which sign are you on? I'm giving him eight to one odds. Okay. So. So, do you guys think that that's a fair, uh, fair odds to give someone? Well, you have to say the last part about it because there was a second condition. Right, right. Contingent on those 100 plate appearances being with the Angels, and that's not fair at all. If it was at <laughs> yes. all, if it's it was not at all, happen. just just his his pedigree alone would be enough to probably ensure that if he can make it somehow up there. Even if he's like 26, 27 when it happens, he'll get enough plate appearances with a bad team. But with the Angels, highly doubtful. Right. Right. It's, that's but far worse than 8-1 to one odds. The Angels <laughs> could be that bad team. Easily. They will be a bad team, but they're not going to continue to have them that long. <laughs> okay, that's fair. So what would, you, what would you say would be fair odds for that wager? With I mean, the contingency. With the Angels, I think that his number of 100 to 1 was pretty fair. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. I'd be a poor man if that ever happened. 
you would. And what about uh, what about with with any team? Do you think that eight to one is? I think it's fair. Yeah, that's. I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think it's fair. Okay. Hopefully Jeffrey doesn't uh, listen to this podcast and takes my offer. <laughs> he will listen to this podcast <laughs> after he's done making his dough balls or whatever it was he's making tonight. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he sent us a picture, and that's what it looked like. He was making dough balls or something. I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> it's important stuff. <laughs> True. All right. Uh, I think we're good, yeah? Yeah, we're good. I think so. All right. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Until next time. Adios. Number Bye. one pick. Bye. <laughs>